Welcome, dear listener, to the Religions Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gardner, and, uh, well, this is the podcast where we bring religious and scientific truths to life through stories. And unfortunately, this time I don't have a story to tell you. I Well, maybe I do, a personal experience that I might share with you. But beyond that, I am still working on the next story, and I'm doing this this episode, mostly to buy myself some more time. I'm going to try and release a podcast and give you something to listen to, something of value, every two weeks. That's my goal. And uh, sometimes I may not have a story prepared, so uh, we may just talk a little bit of science or a little bit of religion instead of, instead of a story. So today, I want to talk a little bit about something that's very misunderstood in the scientific community, or I should say, among the religious community... It's a scientific principle that's very misunderstood. Um, so I want to talk about that today to try and lay to rest a little bit of that idea that people have that science and religion need to be in conflict with one another. They really don't. And uh, mostly when there's a, a conflict between the two, I find that it's because you don't understand completely what the other side is saying. And I find that true in, in a lot of things, including the political arena. And by the way, how about that? We, uh, I, I thought, well, Thursday is the new podcast. I thought for sure I'll, we'll, we'll know how the, the election went by Thursday. Well, <laughs> Thursday came and went, and we still didn't have a new president voted for. So, But now we do. Um, I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon, and uh, we finally do know that we have a president for, for next year. So that's exciting news. And uh, at least we, we know who's who's coming up next, whether you voted for Joe Biden or not. Um, we, we know we have somebody, at least, who's going to be leading as our executive leader in uh, in the Oval Office coming the, the next year. So I'm glad that that's at least finally done. And hopefully, um, no matter which way you voted, I hope that you can at least have some resolution in the fact that that's complete now. And another thing... Um, I hope, and, and this is one of the things that I heard in the news that Biden is going to work on, is bringing people together. And boy, if there, is a, if there isn't a need for that right now, then I don't know what there is a need for. And uh, I hope that that can happen. I think I'm, well, I'm very, very concerned personally about all the disagreements and the difficulties that we've been having lately um, among, among the population of the United States. And I think that is more concerning to me than then either side's concerns, and I don't know why there has to be two sides. How did we ever decide that there has to be two sides on every issue? Uh, we divide on left and right on everything, and the division is what's concerning me. And this is not a political podcast, and I'm not going to get into politics, but I will get into religious things. And one of the most concerning things to me is the division that has been growing in this country. And, and I do hope that when... Mr. Biden takes office and uh, starts to do his thing, that he will take steps that will resolve some of the division that has occurred in this nation, because I think that there's a big need for that. So that being said, let's get in now to talking about some of the divisions that concern me also with the science and religious communities. When I taught science actively at the high school level, I started to teach, of course, physics, and one of the topics um, that we brought up was the Big Bang. Now, as soon as I said the Big Bang, I automatically had a few who I knew were religious in the classroom who said, I don't believe that. God created the world and that's the end of it. 
And I thought to myself, well, I'm not so sure you really understand what the Big Bang is, because the Big Bang doesn't say who created it. It doesn't say anything about how it was even created. Other than that, it came about. And let me explain that. So the Big Bang, let me give you some background information first off. Let's talk a little bit about how the idea for the, the theory of the Big Bang originated. And by the way, when I say theory, um, in the scientific community, we use the word theory to describe something that is very well tested and very well accepted, and probably, uh, in most cases, the truth. Mostly that, that's how it is. Now, um, we leave it open to further learning and further development later because we understand that we cannot see everything. We do not understand everything at this point. And uh, there's, there's room for improvement on a theory, but we're still testing and learning about it, and, and it's the best explanation we have to date. That's what a theory means. It does not mean, oh, it's, a, it's my guess. A theory is not a guess. A hypothesis is a guess. And that's an educated guess at that. But uh, the theory of the Big Bang is well-established and is probably how things worked. Let me explain how we again came about this information. So, way back when, somebody discovered, a scientist was looking, and they noticed that the objects in the nighttime sky, or the objects in the sky in general, that were farthest away from us, the objects that were the most distant from the Earth were also the ones that were moving the quickest. Another thing they noticed is that all of the objects in the sky are moving away from us. Nothing is moving toward the Earth, except for maybe asteroids, but that's another story. So, everything's moving away from everything else. Everything's spreading out. And... The things that are the farthest away are moving the fastest. And so what happens is they thought, okay, let's, let's rewind time just a little bit. And they, they calculated the speed of the objects that are the farthest away, the ones that are closest. And if you rewind time, it gets us back to a certain point in space and a certain time. And at that time and at that certain point, that is when all of matter originated all of the matter that we can see in the known universe. So, kind of interesting. Think of a balloon. Now, if you had a balloon, and uh, it, we see the balloon all blown up, right? But the balloon could still be expanding. Let's put dots on the balloon. Every dot on the balloon, as you blow it up and continue to expand it, will be getting further apart, correct? Well, let's deflate the balloon. Let's let the air out. And as we do that, that's what they did with their calculations, so you bring time back to the point where everything was all in one spot. And that's what they did to discover the Big Bang. It does not say who caused all of matter to start going and expanding outward to create the universe. It doesn't talk about who did it. It doesn't talk about why, because that's not a scientific topic. It's uh, not something that's testable through tangible means like touch, taste, smell. Matter as we know it did not exist before the Big Bang. Now, matter and energy we found out from Einstein are actually equivalent, so energy was involved, had to be, in order to make the matter that started to spread out then in the universe. And uh, there's modern-day scriptures that talk about uh, matter that's more refined, maybe talking about energy in scientific terms. We really don't know. But beside the point, science cannot address the issue of 
who and when and why, because those are not tangible things that can be discovered and tested through the scientific method. So there should be no reason whatsoever for religious people to feel attacked by this theory. This theory doesn't lay claim at all to saying that God didn't create the universe. All it's saying is the matter that makes up this universe came about in a certain point and a certain time. And that's all that it says, and that's all that it can say. And we're fairly certain about the time and the place because we have the evidence of the objects that are moving throughout the universe. So, pretty neat stuff, really. And so that's the, uh, the simple, simple, very simple, and very uh, shortened version of why we believe in the theory of the Big Bang as, as the scientific community. And it's also, hopefully, an explanation as to why there's no reason to discredit it if you're religious. God started it. There's no reason to think otherwise. Now, there, there does come about one discrepancy between the two ideas, uh, religious idea and the scientific idea, and that is that many people are trying to be very literal with their interpretation on the idea of a day, as mentioned in Genesis during the creation. Now, stop and think for just a moment. I don't believe, personally, that God was literal when he's talking about days, when he's talking about the creation. For one, the earth, which is the sphere that we live on. We define a day by one rotation of this earth. The sun shows up in the sky in the same place 24 hours later. If the earth was not in existence at the time, why on earth would time be measured by one rotation of the earth when it did not yet exist? So when we're talking about the creation of the earth, um, which of course came much after the Big Bang anyway, the matter was already in place and it... Well, anyway, the earth was made from the matter that came around from before that. So the timing, if that's an issue, just remember, a day didn't exist yet. So we, we could quibble about how long a day is and whether the Bible says that or not, but I think we may misunderstand. I do want to share one brief story, and it has to do with how we can learn from both our scientific and our religious brains throughout the experiences that we have in life. The two of them can add to our understanding, and they don't have to subtract from one another. When I was in the third grade, this experience happened to me, and I'll share it with you now. I was helping my father. He was getting the tractor ready for springtime work. We had a couple of tractors back then and a small farm, a little 80-acre, well, 120-acre farm total, I believe, that uh, my father would farm. And this uh, little tractor, he was getting it ready for spring work, and it was uh, a cold time of year, early spring. And the tractor didn't start, so he took the battery out. The battery was dead. He started to charge it. And back in those days, the batteries that were put in cars and in tractors had removable caps on the cells. Now, interesting facts about batteries. Lead-acid batteries, which is the type that you have in car, they generate 2 volts per cell. So in a 12-volt battery, you have six cells. And in this particular battery, there were six cells, but they were uncapped. And uh, Dad took the, the caps off to add distilled water to the cells. I had no idea the content of a battery. I'll tell you right now, a lead-acid battery, I kind of gave it away. It contains lead and sulfuric acid. And the two interact in such a way that they create a voltage. And that voltage is uh, and creates a, a flow of electricity, an electric current. And, uh, well, and then the rest is uh, another story for another time. But uh, 
the vehicle will then start as the current flows through the starter. So he had it off and it was charging. And I was out there helping because that's what I liked to do. And he said, Stephen, go over there and get that battery and bring it over to me. Now, again, I said I was in the third grade. How old is a third grader? You know, I don't even know. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> My kids started kindergarten. What age was it? Five? Uh, anyway, don't worry about it. Um, I was young, third grader. And I don't know how many of you have had the experience of actually picking up one of those car batteries. But uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to take the opportunity and do so. They're very heavy for their size. And this being a tractor battery, it had a higher current capacity and was a larger battery than your average car um, battery these days. Probably more like the size you'd see in a large pickup truck or a diesel truck. Um, that was a big battery. And uh, he said, Stephen, go grab that. Well, I went over there and I realized very quickly that I was not, without help, going to get that off the ground. And then I... I I sat back, as, as I did as a kid. I was one of those thinker types. I like to figure out how to solve problems. And I, I realized, okay, if I can't pick this up directly, then how about I use my knee, I pull it back against my knee, I put my knee on the ground by the battery, and then I straighten my leg, and that brings the car battery up as long as I can kind of support it. So I pinned, pinned it against my knee and then stood up, and then gradually, as much as I could, I pulled it up against my thigh, and then I would hobble my way over to my dad. As I did so, some of the water that my father had put in the top, where the cells were uncovered, was spilling out onto my pant leg. And uh, I had no idea that there was anything other than distilled water in the battery. I didn't understand about how that was actually a diluted concentration of, of uh, sulfuric acid, which was in the battery. So anyway, it spilled on my pants, and uh, that's how that was. I, I, we finished, we put the battery in there, Dad put the caps on, the tractor started, we were all happy, and then it was dinner time. We had dinner, and then bedtime came to not, not too long after that in my childhood memory, and uh, as I recall it, I took my pants off, put them beside the bed, and uh, got into bed. The next day, it's time for school. Well, I get my pants that are on the floor. I uh, pick them up, put them on, and, uh, you know, you wear your pants when you're in the third grade and a boy. At least I did. I would wear them until they stood up on their own pretty much, and then I would wash them. You know, or mom would go and get them earlier because they grossed her out. But uh, anyway, that's that's not pertinent to the story. Anyway, back to the story here. So I wear the same pants to school the next day, and uh, it's recess time. First recess of the day, and it's a cold morning. I wanted to go play on the uh, they called it the Eagle's Nest, and uh, kind of a well, it's a well, I don't know what you call that. It's a hemisphere basically with a bunch of bars that you can go climb around in. And it was a lot of fun, and I loved it, and I was about to go play on it, but I wanted to warm up beside the building first, so I stood on the sunny side of the building and warmed myself against the warm bricks in the sunlight, and I put my hands in my pockets, and I noticed really quickly that right where the battery was, and I didn't correlate it at the time, but uh, where the battery had been, I put my hand in my pocket, and it felt very loose, very unusually loose. And it was loose. As a matter of fact, I looked down and I noticed that a huge chunk of my pants right over my pocket had broken loose and was actually, uh, it fell down and kind of was hanging there. I reached down with my hand to figure out what was going on and it came off altogether and then kind of fell like a leaf to the ground. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I grabbed some more and some more came off. And then 
As I started to stop and think about my situation, I started to panic. My pants were falling apart. They were disintegrating before my eyes, and I had no clue what was going on. All I knew is, for all intents and purposes, I was about to be naked in the schoolyard. And uh, that's a very scary thought for a third grade boy. So I had my hand over the hole, the hole that was gaping a little bigger and bigger all the time, and I stopped trying to touch it and figure out what was going on, as I noticed it would just fall apart if I did, so my hand was just resting there on my leg, covering the hole. And I'm getting to where I'm very nervous, my heart's racing, and uh, I'm waiting for the stupid recess bell to go, Um, but then I don't want to go back in either, so I came up with a plan. What to do? And well, you might think, well, the, the logical thing to do is, you know, tell tell a teacher or tell an adult, hey, I have a problem, let them know. But uh, no, that was not in my makeup. I was not about to go to my female teacher or one of the administrators and say, hey, my pants are falling apart. I need to go home. That, granted, would have been the best thing, but I didn't do it. So instead, I came up with this elaborate scheme that I thought would work. I was going to be sick, very sick, sick enough that uh, they wouldn't hesitate to send me home. And uh, here was my plan. I thought, okay, it's reading time when we go back in. So we went in, and I was working up the courage to do this. The teacher was reading Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing by Judy Bloom. I could probably even remember the exact part of the story that she was reading. That's how, uh, that's how memory works when there's something very dramatic going on in your life. The memory is indelibly etched. So, so I, have a, I have great memory of this detail. Anyway, she's reading the story. I'm working up the courage to execute my plan. I'm, I'm there sitting at my desk with my hand over the hole in my pants, and uh, I finally get up to enough courage. I, I raise my hand, and I, I look up at the teacher and say, Teacher, I don't feel so good. And then I pretended to pass out, and I let my head fall on the desk. You know, it was pretty dramatic. She bought it, and she panicked, as I recall. And she got the biggest kid in the class, and they walked up to me, grabbed me, and started walking me off to the office, which was rather uncomfortable because they had me by each arm, which meant I had to uncover the hole in my pants as they were carrying me through the hallway. And uh, anyway, they take me to the office, and at the office, they're a little nervous and concerned. Uh, They try to call my mother. They can't reach her. They call the quick response unit, which is uh, old terminology for the ambulance back then. We didn't have a an ambulance available at the local hospital very close. So we had what we call a quick response unit that was in the local community made up of volunteers. And my mother actually was one of those volunteers at the time. But they couldn't reach her. So (laughs) here I am, and uh, the ambulance shows up, or the quick response unit shows up. They elevate my feet, and they're laying me down in the office. My feet are on a chair. They're treating me for shock. They're giving me oxygen and asking me about the family doctor and who my doctor is, and I don't know who my doctor is. What third grader knows what doctor they have? I had no clue. Anyway, here I am waiting, and they can't reach my mother. She's in town, back before cell phones, of course, and they had no luck reaching her. So I waited and waited and answered their questions. Eventually, they did finally reach my mother, and she uh, hightailed it home, or hightailed it to the school to get me to take me home, and... uh, and that happened. So when, when we got home, my my mother, um, being as smart as she is and knowing me better than anybody, um, she, <laughs> she saw me as I started to go up the stairs and said, Stephen, what happened to your pants? 
I said, I don't know. They're falling apart. And I was, of course, in tears and very scared. The whole thing had been very dramatic for, for a third grade boy. And uh, she knew right away that I wasn't sick and uh, that I just had a problem with my pants. And I wasn't acting sick anyway. She didn't get after me at all on that uh, at, because she understood very well what was going on. And the mystery kind of remained unresolved for a long time after that. I, I didn't understand why that happened and kind of got put on the back burner. It wasn't until later in high school when I did have a little bit of chemistry, actually, in, uh, in my high school science class, that I learned about acids. And I, I learned also that uh, batteries were made up of lead and acid. And I realized, oh, hey... I remember way back when I was a kid and I spilled sulfuric acid all over my pants and they started to fall apart the next day. Then I could understand what happened. So, science helped me explain something from my past which was a mystery. And uh, it, was, it was an enlightening day for me when I discovered that. Now, religious. Let me tell you the religious story or the, uh, the spiritual lesson which I learned from this experience. In the fourth grade, so the next year, it was Idaho history time in school, which meant we took the annual uh, or the, the fourth grade Idaho history tour. We went to Boise, which is our capital city. And Bo we say Boise. We don't say Boise like, uh, like Boise City in Oklahoma, for example. We, we say Boise. If you say it wrong, you're not from Idaho. <laughs> we, we say it in, well, it's a French word. I don't suppose we say it the way the French do. That's okay, though. Um, I digress again. Back to the story. We went to Boise, and in Boise, we go to the state penitentiary, the old state penitentiary, and there they had a bicycle which you could pedal, and it was a, it had a dynamo in there. You'd, you'd pedal that thing, and it would generate electricity, and uh, if you could pedal it fast and hard enough, fast enough and hard enough, then you would light up all the bulbs. We had multiple bulbs on that thing, and they, the, whole, the whole idea was to pedal it hard enough to light up all of them. And I knew I was the strongest kid in the class, and I knew that I was going to light up all of those light bulbs, without a doubt. So I was excited about that. And it was about my turn to get on that bike when my teacher looked at me, stopped, and said, Wait a minute, Stephen. You better not do that. You might pass out. Well, she obviously remembered what happened in the third grade. See, the story, the... the, the uh, hypothesis that they came up with at the school as to why I passed out was from running during um, PE time, physical education time. Earlier in the day, we ran the length of the football field and back, and uh, we used to do that every day. And I had no problem running that. I mean, it was hard work, and I got tired at the end of running it, but uh, that's how they, they decided I passed out because of that running. And so they didn't want me to overexert myself in case there was some physical problem that would cause me to pass out. And uh, anyway, fourth grade, they wouldn't let me ride the bike because they didn't want me to pass out. In Boise, that would be a bad place to pass out. I can understand the teacher's thinking. But the spiritual lesson I learned is a simple one. When you fabricate something, when you lie, when you say something untrue, there are consequences, sometimes long-lasting ones. In this case, another school year later. And I was reaping the rewards of the dishonesty that I had planted the year before. So, I learned a spiritual lesson, a scientific lesson years later, all from one experience. The two of them have made the experience more rich and a better lesson for my entire life. And if I didn't have both of them to look through, both lenses 
through which to observe this experience that happened to me, well, I would feel like I'm definitely missing something indeed, and I'm grateful that both of them are at our disposal. Anyway, that's today's podcast. No no written story per se, no produced story, but I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that you've learned something from today's podcast, and I hope that you have a wonderful two weeks until the next podcast. Until then, this is Stephen Gardner, and this is Religions, the podcast that brings you stories that help you understand scientific and spiritual truths. And uh, please take a minute and tell your friends about this podcast. If you enjoy it and you want others to share in the experience that you've had as you've listened, please let them know. Word of mouth is uh, a great way to get things out and about. And uh, Facebook works uh, any other way you want to share it, and I would appreciate it greatly. Thanks again for listening. This is Stephen Gardner at Religions. Until next time, be well and learn truth.